I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Hello. I would say good morning. Well, it's not a good morning. By the time you're listening to this, which will be on a Wednesday, it may be a good morning. But right now, on Tuesday, 7 a.m. No, sorry, 8 a.m. for Greg over in Texas, 2 p.m. for me over in England. We are not having a good morning. The Celtics are one game away from being eliminated. They're also two wins away from being champions. So, you know, are we going glass half full, glass half empty? We're going to find out. As you mentioned, heard me mention a moment ago, I am joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Greg Manakis. What's popping, Greg? What's good, man? I, I really like how you just started with a, a basic hello on that. I feel like that really captured. Good morning, <laughs> Celtics fans. But no, it's just hello. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that kind of that 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 does justice to how Celtics fans are probably feeling right now. It's just like we don't have time to uh, we don't have the energy to put on like a, a happy face right now. You know, right now it's just kind of coming to grips with with the season being seemingly on the brink, you know, on the brink of, of disappointment, on the brink of elimination. And I, I really want to hear how you're feeling. I haven't looked at Twitter this morning. Um, I, I just wanted to hear your take on everything before I kind of got into all the disappointing takes on on Twitter. Yeah, so does, I've got a take that nobody's going to want to hear right now. And then I've got a take that kind of aligns with everybody else. So okay. the, the take that nobody wants to hear will get out of the way first and foremost. There are 28 other teams that are already at home watching these games from home. Their season was far more disappointing than the Celtics was. Their play, their star players never took them to an NBA Finals this season. There's only a certain amount of disappointment I can have for a team that I had chalked down as a second round exit coming into the season. So every all this disappointment that I'm feeling today is bonus disappointment. It's disappointment I did not intend to ever experience this year. Does that make it suck any less? No. Sucks more because who wants bonus sadness? Bonus happiness, great to give it me all day. Bonus sadness, not so much. So that's my first take. I do think that, you know, we're very fortunate to even still be talking about actual basketball at this point in the season. There's only two team podcasts that can say that. And we're fortunate enough to be one of those two teams, like, you know. So, yeah, great. In terms of game five, and I tweeted this out probably about half an hour ago, the Celtics were outplayed, outhustled, and outworked for four, sorry, for three of the four quarters. And I like to, there's a, the term I like to use is terms of engagement. So in game four and game five, as far as I'm concerned, Golden State Warriors have dictated the terms of engagement on seven of the eight quarters. They've dictated the pace the game's played at. They've dictated what side of the floor Boston are attacking from. They've dictated who the matchups are going to be, who they're going to funnel you towards. And when you're dictating so much of just the overall game, the pace, the flow, the, the matchups, everything's going in your favor because it's all under your rule book. And I think that especially in that first quarter of game five, so first quarter of the last game, 
I think that that was real evident. Boston come out and kind of just allowed themselves to be directed. There was an air traffic controller and then there was a, a plane on autopilot. Boston were on autopilot and uh, the Warriors were just directing traffic wherever they wanted it to go and then they were shutting you down. Uh, I've seen people saying, Andrew Wiggins, you shouldn't get beat by Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is a damn good player. Like, I get it. It's took him a while to kind of find his feet. But you said this in a recent podcast. Outside of Robert Williams, he's the most athletic person on the floor. Like, there's going to be times where he blows by you. But those are my takes. I feel like Golden State are just dictating the terms. And Boston are more than happy to allow to be dictated to at the moment. For sure, yeah. I, as I was thinking about, you know, how I'm feeling about this game, three words came to mind. Resigned, disappointed, and still proud. You know, and I think that's the bonus disappointment that you were just talking about, right? The Warriors have been the better team. I've seen a lot of Celtics fans out there talking about, oh, the only team that can beat the Celtics is the Celtics. It's like, yeah, that that's true. Like the Celtics make mistakes a lot, but that it's not fair to the Warriors to say that the Celtics are just beating themselves. Yeah, we had 10 missed free throws last night. We had 18 turnovers last night. But the Warriors on the other end are not making those same mistakes. You know, to say that the Celtics are the better team, but we're just beating ourselves, I think is disingenuous. Um, the Warriors are the better team right now. And if the Celtics are able to win game six and force a game seven, I think that's going to be a huge accomplishment for this team because right now it doesn't look like we have the answers for the Warriors. And I like that the idea of the terms of engagement that you just brought up because the Warriors, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's why I said that I'm kind of resigned right now to this to this series and to the inevitable outcome of the series where it feels like the Warriors are going to win is because they look like they have unlocked some level of understanding of the Celtics deficiencies on offense and to you know and that's what Ime talked about after game four he was like our offense has just not been great in this series and last night you know we had another game under 100 points I think all the all the losses in this series so far the Celtics have scored under 100 points and they, what it seems like to me, and I just want to kind of get your your feel on this, is it seems like they're asking the other guys to beat us, like, but not like in game one where they just left everyone completely open. You know, the Jays are being asked to do everything from initiating the offense to locking down on defense and scoring, and there just isn't enough help on this roster. Our bench last night, Adam, one for nine for four points from our bench. I think Thought, thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean. It's definitely a plan of theirs to limit everybody around Jason and Jalen. And I think that what happens is, or at least what's been happening, is when Jalen and Jason aren't in rhythm, when their shots aren't falling, all of a sudden everything becomes more frantic. People are re relocating to parts of the floor that don't need to be filled. There was, a couple, there was one play in the fourth, I think it was, it was just a high pick and roll with Al Horford and Jason Tatum. Horford sets the screen, rolls directly into the paint. So instantly I'm like, oh, it's going to be a dump off. Tatum's going to drag the screen out across the perimeter, either hit the bounce pass or drive and dump off because then Horford's got that floater area and he's got a bit of a size advantage. Tatum drives directly to the hoop, but you've got Rob Williams in the dunker spot. You've got Al Horford in the middle of the paint. So that means you've got three defenders. Now you've got, Rob's defender, Al's defender, Tatum's defender. So there's nowhere for Tatum to go other than into a crowd, as you can imagine, doesn't fall. And what I mean by it's more frantic is 
everybody feels like they need to be in a scoring position on every possession. So you end up with more people clogging the paint. You end up with more people clogging the interior. The spacing just collapses on like it's like an implosion, right? It all just kind of like draws in with itself like a black hole of despair. And um I feel like that's exactly what's happening right now. They're forcing Tatum and Brown to do so much that there's no rhythm, there's no continuity. And then the franticness of the rest of the team, like we need to be in a scoring position. I need to offer rim help. I need to offer rebounding help. It's killing the spacing. So yeah, Boston are beating themselves, but they're being put in a position where they have no choice but to beat themselves if they want to create any form of offensive flow. It's a really peculiar situation that Golden State have put them in because they, they really are pressuring them in every angle of offense. They're pinching, they're stunting, they're rotating really well. They're sending two at the ball and then exploding back onto their matchups. And look, man, everyone's like, oh, well, when there's so much pressure, it only takes so long until a diamond occurs. Yeah, cool, but you've only got two more games, dude. I don't know how much more... like. Are we going to see a Tatum explosion, a Tatum statement game, a legacy game? We're tw- it's just 24 years old and we're talking about legacy games. Like, it all perplexes me. And I do think that you are right. I think that Golden State are very much asking the Boston to put the ball in Derek White's hands, in Al Horford's hands, in Rob Williams' hands on the low block and being like, right, then you guys beat us because we know if you do that to us, We've got Clay Thompson, Jordan, but we've just got scorers everywhere. And Boston don't really have an answer to that right now. And uh, it might be that they've figured out that, hey, you know, we're just, if, if Tatum and Brown aren't clicking, then we're just going to see frantic offense and they're not going to beat us that way. Yeah. I mean, you, you said a lot there, man. You said it all. Grant Williams. No, no, you're, no, I, I'm trying to figure out where I want to jump in. Grant Williams, uh, 22 points, three field goal, three three-point field goals in this entire series. 22 points in the entire series, three three-point field goals. Peyton Pritchard, 16 points in this series, three three-point field goals. Uh, Al Horford, since game one, has only shot the ball 23 times in the last four games, and in those four games, he has 30 points. So those three guys right there, you would hope at least one of those three is doing something on the offensive end. You know, those are some of our floor spacers. Al's been spacing it up to three. Grant's been great all year from three. And Pritchard's been great all year from three. And they haven't really brought it over the last four games. And for Grant and Pritchard, they haven't brought it the entire series. So I don't really know where the Celtics are going to be able to get more production. When you look when you look at the guys in our seven, eight-man rotation, last night it was a six-man rotation, really, if it's not coming from the Jays, I just don't know where it's coming from. And and that puts a lot of pressure on Marcus Smart um, for better, for worse. You know, Marcus has been, has had some big games in this, in this playoffs, but you've seen why, you know, people say, Oh, Marcus isn't a real point guard, blah, 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 blah. He's not the right point guard for this team. There are moments in these games where you're just like, man, Marcus, we need somebody to settle this team down, you know? And when it gets really, really intense on the court, Marcus doesn't have the ability right now to calm himself down. He just gets more intense. And Marcus has this breaking point and diminishing returns on that intensity. And you saw that in the fourth quarter last night where it started to get in his head just a little bit. The game was getting like super physical. The refs were were calling some BS calls. 
And Marcus just melted down in that fourth quarter, man. And, and I could see that happening at the end of the third. And Ime decided to take him out and put in Derek White. And I think that was the right move. But then Derek White went on the court for two minutes and was just terrible in those two minutes. He missed a couple threes. He got blown by on defense a couple times. And Ime was like, you know what? I don't know if Marcus is the right person right now, but he's the only person I got to throw out there because Pritchard <laughs> didn't offer anything in the, in the first half. So we put Marcus back out there. And then, you know, next thing you know, the Celtics are down by 12 points again. And all that was happening with Steph Curry on the bench. And that's another thing I kind of want to get to is the coaching matchup between Kerr and Ime. Over the last two games, Kerr has won that matchup handedly. And it's just like he he seems to know which buttons to press. But also, I'm trying to give Ime the benefit of the doubt because it seems like Kerr has more buttons to press. <laughs> like, what, what are the buttons that Ime can press when he has seven or eight guys that can actually play in this series? You know, he, there, there are no other options besides, you know, all right, well, it didn't work with Derek White, so I'm going back to Marcus. Well, uh, let me play the Jays 45 minutes tonight because I can't put in Neesmith. You know, like, what am I supposed to do? Uh, I can't put in Tice. Tice was pretty bad in those first two games. If Grant Williams isn't bringing it, if Al Horford is taking 30 shots in four games, like, what are we supposed to do? We're just missing one last piece if, if the Jays aren't, taking that next step and coming into the series. I think we all assumed that the Jays would take like, a, 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 well, maybe not even take another step forward, but at least play on the same level that they've been playing throughout these playoffs. And they haven't quite done that. They've, they've been okay at times. Um, they've had moments where they've carried us for like two or three minutes, but outside of those small stretches, they haven't been able to sustain anything for a full game in this series. And I think that's honestly credit to the Warriors, dude. I think the Warriors have been really impressive since, um, especially over the last five quarters. I think they unlocked something in themselves in that fourth quarter of game four where they just clamped down on defense. And the Celtics seemingly haven't cracked the code of physicality that the Warriors brought with the desperation they played with in the fourth quarter of game four. So there's a lot to unpack there. I feel the same now. I don't understand how you felt. So I want, I'll start with the Jason and Jalen thing. So the term I'm using for them in this series is passive success because they hasn't, they haven't been bad. You know, Tatum's been a fairly reasonable playmaker and rebounder. Jalen Brown's had his scoring exploits and he's also been flashing playmaking, but they're very passive games. The games where they've been most successful are the games when they haven't been forcing the offense. They haven't been decisive. They haven't been aggressive. They've allowed it to come to them. So it's been passive success for me. Whereas what you need is aggressive success. Like Steph Curry is aggressively successful. He he knows what he wants to do. He's aggressive about it and he's successful with it. And I think that's the difference between being a contending team and a championship team that passive versus aggressive success. Um, and I've kind of coined that myself. So, you know, I could be 1 million percent wrong, but that's kind of how my perception of this is working. In terms of like Udoka, I feel like there was a point in time where, and I was shocked by this and I was shocked that it was working. There was a point in time where the Warriors were mismatch hunting with Andrew Wiggins and Derek White. And there was like Derek White, guarded Wiggins on for a minute of total time. Now, if you think about it in terms of mismatches and like, you know, that's going to be multiple possessions. Wiggins took four shots against Derek White, hit all four. 
Also, a, like, also, his team managed to get eight points due to the gravity that Andrew Wiggins had. And as you said, there's, there's no one else that Udoka can go to. Like, right, Derek White's getting exposed. The only option I've got now is to bring Marcus Smart back that's playing Marcus Smart basketball. You know, one possession good, next possession bad. There's no third option there. Jason Tatum, Jen, and Brown struggling from the floor. Well, who's your third scoring option? Where does that come from? There's no answer there. Do you know what I mean? Your bench, your end, your deep bench doesn't have a difference maker, doesn't have somebody that you can lean on in a pinch. Like if you look at the Warriors rotation right now, the next man up after what we've seen from them, Kaminga. The guy after that, probably Moody. You know, like and Moody's not great, let's be honest. He's still raw himself. He's but what I'm getting at is they have extra bodies that could serve a purpose right whereas boston don't have that and i think when you couple passive success with limited depth like you're you've got elite depth one through eight and then from there it's just limited it's single skill players left right and center a lot of them are clinging onto the league by by the the skin of their teeth do you know what i mean there's no one there that's like I'm a darn good player and I'm seething that I can't make a finals rotation. Somebody with a real point to prove there isn't one. Uh, I think that's what's holding Boston back right now that, and then I see, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I've seen a lot of slander towards Ime Udoka's coaching, over, uh, especially today. Like after that game five loss, a lot of people like Ime Udoka's not really calling any plays. He's not asking them to do much, blah, blah, blah. What's your thoughts on that? Because I'm like, dude, this guy, this coach is a rookie head coach in the NBA Finals, somewhere that this team never went to before. So how yeah. can we really be blaming him right now? So is the narrative that you're seeing out there, like Ime, you know, he's he's like a motivator of a coach, but he's not an X's and O's coach? Is that Yeah, really that's what, what I'm seeing. And like, I've done a lot, and I've, I'm sure people that follow me on, um, especially on Instagram, uh, know that I've done a lot of playbook work this mm-hmm. year on what the Celtics run. So I, I feel like I'm quite justified in discussing the playbook. Yeah, um, for sure. No, I was, I was just going to say that. I was like, of, of the two of us, I feel like you'd be, you know, more well-versed in explaining to people why Ime has been a, a pretty good X's and O coach. Just from someone who doesn't study it to the level that you do, it seems to me that, you know, the Celtics, they have a, a lot of their like pet actions that the Warriors are taking them out of, or just, you know, they're more prepared for They, they have all the, all the game tape that we have and they literally spend their entire day trying to figure out ways to take away the initial actions that the Celtics want to run. And it seemed like in, from my eyes last night, the Celtics are starting to realize that Jason Tatum going isolation against Andrew Wiggins is not a favorable matchup for the Boston Celtics in this series. So they're doing a lot of what they can to like, you know, run double staggered screens for Tatum, get him onto the, you know, as long as it's not Wiggins, I feel like the Celtics are feeling more comfortable with that. Um, But Wiggins has been great against Tatum. He, he does a really good job of getting under him and not letting Tatum get leverage, especially in the mid post. Um, That one fadeaway that Tatum took down the stretch uh, where he I, he like front rimmed it or just airballed it. That was, that's a, a great possession to go watch. Tatum hits Wiggins right in the chest, and Wiggins doesn't budge. You know he he's right there. He's super physical. And in terms of Ime getting it back to Ime, like I don't really know what the Celtics 
can do differently on the offensive end. It seems like they've tried most of their tricks. Um, I saw you post something the other day about trying to get some more empty corner actions um, just to, just to have, you know, the, the, the advantages that playing in the empty corner offers. So there's not as much help defense on that side and everything less bodies for the Celtics to see. But I, I just don't really know what the Celtics can do other than like execute their stuff better. Um, do you, do you see anything that like some kind of intuitive counters the Celtics can run? Cause it, in my opinion, it's just like, we have to set better screens. We have to cut harder. We have to be more decisive and then we have to hit shots. That's kind of what I see. Yes. I mean, for anyone that's like Udoka needs to implement new plays, like coaches aren't calling sets on every possession. You know, it's probably three or four possessions that they're calling on a live ball where you see them walking up the sideline, shouting at like horns or, you know, go box on one or whatever for the most part especially in the finals at this point in the season your your core offensive principles are ingrained in you so boston's principles are you go 0.5 offense fast decisions aggressive decisions your core screening actions are ram screens their ghost screens their flares and around above the break their pin downs into zoom actions. They're all already ingrained, right? You might have a little bit of flex thrown in there, whatever. But saying that they need to, like, Udoka needs to be calling more. ATOs, yeah. I think that Udoka has a lot of work to do on his ATOs. Um, but generally, at this point in the season, you're not going to be seeing much. Now, would I think, would I like an ace in the hole? Like, um, I said this in the Celtics Legends chat. Would I like to see one new, like, caveat or wrinkle to their offense thrown in there maybe some grenade sets where you have a grenade set for anyone listening you give the big man the ball on the low post he dribbles up towards the perimeter and then gives a handoff the idea is that you take out two defenders and it's an empty side already and it's called a grenade because it blows the coverage wide open it's usually an easy drive to the lane to the hoop would i like to see something like that put in there yeah of course i would but how much difference is that going to make beyond one or two possessions before Golden State adjusts. This is about executing what you do well better. You are right. It's better screens. Time your slips better. Time your drives. And start setting guys up. At the moment, I'm seeing single actions. It's single side actions. And I think the biggest difference from what we've seen in other series, there's nothing going on on the weak side. There's no counters or decoys being... You know what I mean? There's... You should be having a high pick and roll. If someone drives, where's the off ball, the, the weak side pin down? So that, as I like to recall it, the, the release valve. So when the defense eventually does collapse on on the ball handler driving to the rim, you've got that release valve on the wing or in the corner, and you can hit that. Ideally, that's Jalen Brown. Or if Jalen Brown's on ball, you want Tatum as the release valve because you don't have the spacing to run Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, two-man game. But then you run into Philadelphia's issues with Joel Embiid and Harden. There's not enough shooters around you to put both of your stars in the same action. You need one spread out. And uh, I just don't, it's execution at this point. I don't see any other way. Yeah, and I, I think that weak side point, you know, the decoy action is important. And I was actually, so Will and I have been fortunate enough to watch the last two games together in person. And that's one thing that I've been really harping on is like, there's not even exchanges happening you know, on, on, on the weak side, there's no flare screens happening just to get the defense, the help side defenders looking at other action other than just staring at the ball. Cause when they're staring at the ball, 
then they're just much more timely in their help. You know, if you can just get them to turn their head for that split second in which Tatum is attacking or Brown is attacking, that's going to make all the difference in the world in terms of spacing that space that, you know, it, it looks like there's not a lot of space on the court for the Celtics. Well, they can still exploit whatever you know little gaps they see as long as the help isn't ready to help the the guy can be there you know but if if he's staring at the ball and everyone is stationary the whole game then it's a lot easier to guard you know and and when you see what the warriors are running on the other end and how many different actions they run off ball it, it just makes a lot of sense that they've been you know the team that's executing better of the two teams and the celtics need to execute better so i don't really get that you may hate um, I also don't get this, the hate in general uh, about yeah. this team. Like, I, I understand that you can be disappointed in the team, but people are, you know, Twitter obviously is a pretty wild place, but there, there are a couple things. I just want to read some tweets right now, right? Uh, let's see. Uh, I can't even, let me see if I can find some of these tweets. I can't even find some of these tweets. But basically, anyway, some of the tweets I was saying, like, oh, it's embarrassing what the Celtics are doing out there. Like we, this is not a true Celtics team. I hate the, the, the tweets that come out like that, like saying the guys aren't trying, you know, they're, they're, they're showing no heart on the court. These guys are leaving it all out there on the court. It's just like the mental focus that they need to have right now. They haven't quite reached that point in their careers in which they're able to just like tap into, Oh, I've been here before. This is what I have to do in this moment. And maybe they will in game six, you know, they can look back on their recent success in the playoffs and say, yeah, like, Oh, we did it in game six against Milwaukee on the road. We won a game six in Milwaukee on the road to force a game seven back in Boston. Now we just have to win a game six at home. And when I see all these people tweeting like, Oh, the season's over. This should, people should be embarrassed for the rooting for the Celtics is the worst. It's like, all right, we're in the finals. Like, try to enjoy it. Jalen and Jason are still early in their careers. Like, let's have some fun with it. I'm disappointed too. I was yelling at the TV just like you were last night, but I didn't want, I didn't leave my friend's house last night being like, you know what? I'm done rooting for the Celtics. We should trade everyone. That's just stupid, in my opinion. Do you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for the first player to move teams and then basically say, I was sick of the way the fan base were. Because I feel like, People don't realize that these are young guys. Do you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> they're going to be on social. They may not respond, but they see. Now, I'm not saying they see every, our tweets or everybody's tweets, but the amount of vitriol that's being thrown at them, Tatum's not a top five player. Tatum's not a top 10 player. Tatum's choking in the finals. Jalen Brand is, yeah, be critical. Jalen Brand cannot dribble into a crowd. That's fact. If he disputes that, well, then there's a reason you have a dialogue and you can have that dialogue if you were ever to be in that situation. But just being like, this team sucks. These players aren't capable. They're not mentally tough enough. Like, who who, who decided that narrative? Like, I don't get it. If they weren't mentally tough enough, they wouldn't have won two back-to-back game sevens. They wouldn't, yeah. be, they wouldn't defeat Giannis, then defeat Jimmy, and now be you know, fighting in a game six against Steph.
it, it makes no sense to me. It, it, it is quite disheartening sometimes. I try to stay off socials after a loss, to be quite honest. For sure. Yeah, I, I didn't go on Twitter at all last night. I, just have, I found some of the tweets I was, I was looking for earlier. This one tweet, I'm not going to yell at people's names, but this one guy, he tweets, just no heart, no leadership, no cohesiveness, and seemingly no accountability to each other. Uh, let's see, another one. Uh, this this is a great team that just isn't ready to be a champion. Okay, it's not that bad. Let's see. Embarrassment to the city of Boston. These guys don't act like true Celtics. Even though the 2010 team lost, they lost playing their damn hearts out and injured and still fought like hell. <laughs> like, what kind of take is that? So Tatum hasn't been dealing with a shoulder injury. Rob hasn't been playing through knee inflammation. You know Market- what I mean? Like, did you did everyone see Marcus Smart sprain his ankle in the Miami series? I thought he was done for the season when that came happened. back. Came back well, in the well, same game. Missed it, one it's game. It's ridiculous, man. In fact, DM me that because I want to quote retweet that. Um, <laughs> just just on a side note, but no, it's uh it is tough. It is a tough like it's a tough watch. I'm not gonna lie. I was very disappointed in the performance. I felt like. You know, going back to terms of engagement, Golden State are dictating it. But this is a young team in their first NBA Finals. There is no, and this was a big thing coming into the series, if people remember. There was zero games of Finals experience on that Celtics team. You're going up against a team with over 100 collective Finals games amongst them. They're meant to be handling the pressure better. They're meant to be dealing with the the media attention and the kind of um, the way that momentum swings side to side and the, the overreactions and everything, because they've been there multiple times. Yeah. And, Every- they, and Adam, they've already established who they are and the, like their place in NBA history is cemented, right? The warriors are the, the dynasty of the last decade. So like there is that added pressure that the Celtics have to be feeling like getting, getting that first championship has got to be one of the hardest things to, to do, right? Because you're worried. Like, even now, as a fan, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, like, a lot of things had to go right for the Celtics to get here. Like, there's no guarantee the Celtics are going to be back next year. When you look back to the Thunder and, like, the Thunder making the championship against LeBron and the Heat way back when, and we just kind of penciled them in for at least three finals appearances in the next five years, and it didn't even happen again because they traded hard. And, like, anything can happen. So the Celtics are definitely feeling more pressure than the Warriors are. Because the Warriors, like, if we lose, like, we already got, what was it, four championships in the back. You know, they, they, they already have those championships. The Celtics don't have any right now. So they need they need to figure out, like, the just the mental hurdle of the expectations of winning this first final. They, they just need to, like, forget about all the noise that comes around with it and just play ball. Cause it seems like that's what the warriors are able to do. They're not worried about the media narratives that are happening right now. They're just like, we're good. We've been here before we got our championships. We just got to go and, and hoop like we hoop. And the Celtics, in my opinion, haven't hooped like they hoop. And that comes back to the terms of engagement. The warriors have figured out like, if we just play the championship ball that we know how to play, when we're going to see if the Celtics are able to meet us on that level. And the Celtics haven't been able to meet them on that level yet because they haven't figured out what, what it takes to get to that level yet. And hopefully in game six, the light bulb goes on for them. I think it just takes one. And you see, this is the hard part, right? Because the next thing I'm about to say is it takes one good game for them to be like, this is how we need to play. But unfortunately that doesn't feel correct because they've had one good game followed by, a bad game 
since the second round. And I understand why people's faith is wavering just because, you know, this is the first back-to-back loss of the postseason at all. But think about that. You're in the NBA Finals. You've gone to two Game 7s. It's taken until Game 5 against one of the best teams in the history of the sport to lose two games on the, in, a, in a row. It took a dynasty to beat you two times in a row. If that doesn't tell you that this team is legit and they're capable of still coming back to win, nothing will. Because it took a dynasty to win two games in a row. I, I don't know how much more I can repeat that because to me, that is so like telling of the entire season and the capabilities within this Celtics roster. And if they lose, it's because they're still young and there's a piece or two missing on the bench end of that rotation. But I don't know how many other teams are ever going to be able to say we didn't lose back-to-back games despite going to game sevens until game five of the NBA finals. That, uh, so if you want to be disappointed with that, go ahead. But me personally, I think that's a that's an incredible little bit, little statistic. Yeah, and like it's it's tough right now because we, we seemingly had the series, you know, in our control going into the fourth quarter of Game Four to like have that perspective and look for silver linings. And like people out there listening that might be I don't know frustrated with the way that we're trying trying to like rationalize everything right now. Adam and I are, are I, I I don't want to speak for you, Adam, but I'm disappointed. Like when I watch these games, as I said earlier, I'm yelling at the TV. I'm cussing at Will. I'm like, why can't these guys figure it out? Like blah, 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 blah. But that's just me like reacting in the moment, which is why I try and stay off Twitter, you know, during, you know, during the game, because I don't want to be like tweeting out my emotions during the game. And that's one thing I try to like think about when I look at Twitter, it's like, are these how you actually um, think about it or are these how you feel about it in the moment? Because if it's how you think about it, then I just disagree with how you think. If it's how you feel about it, (laughs) (laughs) if it's how you feel about it, then like, okay, I can get down with that because I am an, I'm a human being too. And I experienced that roller coaster of emotions during the game. But like, I just can't get on with the narrative that, this Celtics team is embarrassing or they're a disappointment to us or they haven't represented the city of Boston. All that stuff is nonsense, in my opinion. I'm super proud of this team for being here. I expect that they're going to win game six. I think it's if, if they lost, I would I would definitely, you know, be uh, I would understand why it happened, because I think the Warriors, if we said all podcasts here, the Warriors have been the better team and they seemingly have figured the Celtics out. But I expect the Celtics to win in game six and force a game seven. And if we're playing for the championship in game seven, no matter what happens, I'm going to feel good about, you know, the, the way that the Celtics bounce back throughout the season. And let's be fair. The best player in this series is wearing a Warriors jersey. Yep. You know, and generally the team with the best player is the team that's favorite to win. That's just the way it goes. The best player in this series is a diminutive guard that can shoot from, he could take a shot in Birmingham, England and watch it drain in san francisco california his range is limitless he could shoot here and score on mars so (laughs) you know what i mean some space jam stuff but it is what it is i'm proud of this team i I do think that they're being outplayed at the moment i think they're being out hustled most importantly i think they're being out fought like mentally fought you know what i mean we're at a chess we're in a chess battle against a a grandmaster Mm mm-hmm you know what I mean? At the end of the day, if it's going to go down this way, it's going to go down this way. But personally, I've still got this being a seven-game series. I still think this is anybody's for the taking. And I'm not counting the Celtics out yet. I'm, I'm just not. If they lose game six, 
well, then we're all counting them out because they're out. But until that point, it's not over till it's over. Do you know what I mean? No, I feel you. I think that's a good place to wrap up, too, on, on some positive vibes going into Game 6 here. I do think the Celtics are going to win Game 6 and force a Game 7. And with that being said, like I'll be happy with whatever happens in Game 7. If we lose at home in Game 6, I'm going to be a little disappointed because I think that's the game the Celtics should win, especially after blowing Game 4. This is a, you know, a gut-check game. They look themselves in the mirror, look each other in the eye and say, all right, we're not going down on our home court. We're going to leave it all out here for this game. We're going to win. I'm honestly expecting the Celtics to jump on the Warriors earlier or early in the game. And hopefully, fingers crossed, hopefully it's not a close game so that we can all just like take a collective breath as a, as a Celtics nation. And I will say this, if, if for some reason they do lose at home, the one thing that would like really upset me would be if they got booed at the end of the game. I don't, I do not expect that to happen. That would be what upset me because at the end of the day, they're in the NBA finals. No one expected that reason, no reasonable logical human being expected us to be talking about finals basketball this year. It was always next season. Yeah. I I don't think you're allowed to boo your team in the finals. I feel like that should be a rule. Yeah. I feel like you get your, uh, you get banned from the arena for 18 years. Someone's at my door. Um, With that, everybody, if you've enjoyed the show, I'm going to have to go. So thank you very much. Goodbye. Peace, everybody. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.